Something New is supported by listeners like you. Visit joelbnew.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 15 of Something New. I'm Joel B. New. How's everybody doing? How's your how's your day? Um, how, I was going to say, how's your Sunday? Because if you're listening to this on Sunday, July 24th, 2016, that means you're listening to it on BroadwayWorld.com. That's right. Uh, the BWW, ha- as, I, um, as I call them has an exclusive with something new where they will post my new episode a full 24 hours in advance from wherever else you listen to something new, be that on iTunes or my website, TuneIn, Stitcher, all those good places. Um, I'm also grateful for them for posting my episodes, but uh, but especially to BroadwayWorld.com for uh, giving us this, giving giving my listeners a full day in advance. So. If you're like me and you like a good lazy Sunday and you're sitting around drinking coffee out of your something new podcast mug, then I think tuning into BroadwayWorld.com is a perfect pairing with that. Like wine and cheese. As I said, this is episode 15, which um, as something new aficionados, <laughs> there's got to be at least m- more than just me um, who would consider themselves a something new aficionado, where uh, we do 18 episodes a year. That's always the plan, at least. Uh, Which means we only have three more episodes until season four comes to a close. That's crazy. Um, I plan to have one or two more uh, guest spots. And then we have the finale. Oh, what's the finale going to be this year, Joel? Who knows? Um, There is a living room concert with some friends that's currently in the works. Um, it'll probably be that, but you know, life has a weird way of changing things around, especially as I'm getting ready to release the Cabot Cove EP, which we're hoping is in September, which is also when the something new fourth season is um, supposed to wrap. So whether those two things align or not, only time will tell. Speaking of Cabot Cove, um, we are done with the editing process took a little longer than I think uh, any of us anticipated, but uh, we are all good to go. The plan is to get the hard drive of all the edited songs over to our mixer this week, and then she'll mix, I'll approve, we'll, she'll master, and then we actually start making some CDs like it's 1999. Um... Which is very, very exciting. I can't wait to hear everything mastered. Because right now, you know, I'm just hearing, like, the final takes. Like, the finished takes of all the instruments and my vocals. And so, like, everyone's bringing their A-game. But pretty much at, like, the same decibel. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to hearing it more like a song instead of just a lot of awesome um, sounds happening at the same time. Another cool, unexpected development for the Cabot Cove EP. Um, The title track of the EP uh, has a musical interlude inside of it that uh, includes the actual official Murder, She Wrote theme song, which uh, Scott Wasserman did a superb job of orchestrating and arranging, and that's all fun. And then I decided to do the, you know, right thing. I don't know if the right thing is, you know, can you... I don't know if there was another choice, but I um, I sought I contacted um, Universal, who owns the copyright of that theme song, and I'm eagerly awaiting a positive response from them. And so once we have that, then I pay them some money, and um, and then we can use it, which is really exciting. But again, it's another step that I didn't know would take more time. Um, or money, but that's okay because that's how copyright works. As a writer, I fully um, respect and support the idea of copyright, obviously. And the idea of the one train. The one train is more than an idea. And speaking of copyright, uh, today's song that my guest is singing um, is what I call an exploratory song. I I mention it a little at the end of the episode when I'm setting up the song, but I wanted to lay it down for realsies 
um, as a disclaimer here at the top as well. Um, so the, the song I wrote for Devin is an exploratory song. It's what I, it's what I would consider as a composer-lyricist research for, um, for this musical that I've been working on, Mackenzie and the Missing Boy. And the song, um, which is called Quiet Girl, I drew inspiration and lifted text from a poem of the same name by Langston Hughes. Um, his estate possesses the copyright, I'm fully aware. Um, if this song were to make it into the show at some point, um, I would either seek permission from the Hughes estate or modify the lyric altogether. Uh, this is my verbal copyright disclaimer. Uh, as I said already, my as a writer, I have a huge respect for copyright, as I certainly hope that I am compensated in the future for use of my own original work. I think that's all I got. Um, I'm going to get you guys over to my interview and performance with Devin Elow, who can currently be seen in Les Mis on Broadway. So without further ado, uh, here is episode 415 with my special guest, Devin Elow. This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with some of the savviest theater artists in the industry, to hear their stories, to play through and premiere a brand new original song, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Today's guest artist is a performer, musician, music director, and vocal coach. He can currently be seen making his Broadway debut in Les Miserables, now playing through September 4th. Favorite credits include the 25th anniversary tour of Les Mis, Miss Saigon, Bernstein's Mass, Wearing Black, and The King and I. He is a graduate of Carnegie Mellon. Obviously, I'm talking about Devin Elow. Hello, how's it going? It's going great. Going well now. Love singing your song. We're done singing. (laughs) Thank you for joining me here on my couch in Inwood. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We're sitting here drinking some wine, Mm -hmm. which is always a good, good bold choice for a good way to end Monday. Yes. God, what a Monday it was. Mm -hmm. I don't know about for you. You get Mondays off. Yes. Does it feel like a day off? No. No. Because I get to do great things like this. So it's another renewal of why I do what I do and why I want to keep doing what I do. And I got a massage, so my body does feel a lot better. Nice, good. And uh, today was really resting and relaxing, so it's good. Terrific. Thanks. Well, I invited you over to be on my show because not only are you an incredibly talented performer, but you do do these other things that I didn't know that you did until our mutual friend Joanne told Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. that you, um, you also carry these titles and correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. but you also um you're a musician I am what all do you play I play the piano I can play the church organ <laughs> with the feet yes <laughs> that was my job when I was in high school and middle school actually no. yes. yes everyone else worked at like the ski lodge and or at like Burger King and I worked at church um <laughs> Hashtag talent. Um, I also play like I could say that I'm I'm a pretty decent violinist. Yeah. Um, and uh, also I could play basic guitar. I'll say. Yeah. Basic guitar. Nice. nice. Some chords. All right. Enough to play some Indigo Girls. Yeah. Like you need like four chords. Really. Yes. Yeah. Four chords and a capo. Exactly. That's, that's my next album title. Red. <laughs> uh, musician. Yes. Um, music director. Yes. Yeah. I'm so curious about that. It's actually been a while that yeah um you know we were just talking about this actually but you know it's not easy to work as an actor consistently you know and sometimes what's funny is i I remember right after i graduated college i got a job at a restaurant and i was not good at all i didn't even know how to open a wine bottle because in college i had had a a, you know one of those like rabbit things you just Uh like pull the lever yeah well you just saw my little gadget here exactly here i am getting a job at a restaurant they're like you don't know how to open a bottle of wine with a wine key i said i don't even own one (laughs) so that didn't last long (laughs) and what's funny is you know a lot of my friends from college had been um calling and texting me saying listen i have these auditions coming up can you help me devin and I always said, sure, absolutely, of course I'll help you learn the music. You can come over, or I'll make you tracks, or I'll record it on the piano for you. And it finally hit me, Devin, why don't you do that for a living in between acting jobs? Um, and that sort of turned into, like, vocal coaching. Yeah. And when cabarets and concerts would then open up, 
um, that friends of mine were in or what I could call clients of mine were in, they'd always say like, hey, I have a great th- guy who could music direct this. And suddenly that's how I sort of fell into this like music director huh. job. And I got connected with amazing people uh, and worked for, let's see, like Dreamlight Theater, like Billy Bustamante. Yeah, so I remember Dreamlight. Playing with Broadway Barcada uh-huh. and stuff. So I started playing for all these things and they would then recommend me for shows they then got cast and if it, if they lost a music director so I, I ended up music directing Imelda off-Broadway for Pan-Asian Rep and also um, for Rocking Horse Productions I did Silver Bullet Trailer too at the Ohio so that sort of just fell into my lap by happy happenstance huh. and it was an amazing way to work with my friends and also watch other people work and know how I want to work and how I don't want to work. You yeah. Know? How, as, how, as an actor. Yeah. How has that taught you? Like, what has that taught you? Patience. Patience for myself. Patience and respect for people behind the table. You know, seeing from directors um, and the music directors that they don't always have the answers. You know, this isn't, we just did this today in our collaboration, but theater is collaboration. Not everyone should have, like, just the answer. Because you may have an idea of a character or a song in your head, but until someone's actually doing it, and the actor that's playing that role is actually doing it, it's it's nothing still. Like, mm-hmm. it just exists as music in your, or, or performance in your head, or on paper. Yeah. As I was you saying know? to you today, I was, I was like, this song is not even two days old, mm-hmm. and it's, like, its bones have not mm-hmm. solidified yet. Like, yeah. we, I mean... We can kind of play with its head a little bit. And we did. Yeah. We changed the ending. <laughs> we did change the ending. We added. Well, for, thank you. Well, yes. I, I think so. Yeah. You know, um, given at least how I was feeling while singing the song, mm-hmm. we added a note. We changed. We got rid of the last note. Yeah, we did. And so, yeah. I yeah. like that. I like that being able to create. So that's how it changed me for the better as a music director. Yeah. I'd also like to say that I love and hate at the same time being an accompanist. Talk to me about that. You know, I like being a rehearsal accompanist, and I would venture to say that I hate being, like, a an audition accompanist. Mm, it's a hard job. It's a really hard job, and I give them a lot of credit. And for me, being a music director and an accompanist, I got really good... Um, when working on projects at starting to guess actors' impulses. You know, being able to follow, being able to listen where they want to hold a note, where they want a crescendo, decrescendo, when it doesn't work for a song, in my opinion, and when something that I'm doing doesn't service them in their performance. So it started... It gave me a lot more respect for music directors and knowing that they are an accompanist and knowing that they are a scene partner. That it, a solo is not Absolutely. a soliloquy is very much a duet with the with the music, totally. Um, and all the times from others that I just go, wow, that was something that was inspired, and I followed you and I worked with you, so that was a really great dialogue. And also, of course, conversely, um, hearing when it doesn't click mm-hmm. and why it doesn't click, and sort of going, okay, well, when I perform, then I will make sure not to be like that. Yeah. So the good and bad. That was a huge, really, really important tool for me to learn. One of the things I really enjoyed about working with you today on the song, and I I really like doing the song first and then Mm -hmm. getting to talk about stuff. Like, one thing I really enjoyed, because I've never worked with you before, Mm -hmm. um, you, like, you rehearsed with me like a music director. Like, no, 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 in a good way. In a good way. I mean, like, you had a lot of really smart... um, things to say from an actor's point of view but like there were a couple of moments where like you actually conducted me into one measure i don't know if oh you really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i noticed sometimes yeah. like my breath does it and sometimes like, i sort of do it like a body I'm, I'm, thing. I'm like i'm like oh, okay you know <laughs> but like it's it's a great exchange and mm-hmm. it's it's showing that you know i don't as a composer i really really respect when an actor's musicianship is present in the room too. And we're not just like talking about feelings, mm-hmm. but we're also talking about measures and, oh, I'm going to sing the seventh of that note and things yes. like that. Like that, that excites me in all sorts of parts of my body. Like it's a really, Oh my God. Well, <laughs> that's, that's so great that you said that. It makes me think of 
you know, as a gay man, <laughs> and as a an aspiring Not soprano. <laughs> um, I mean, one of my favorite, I mean, like, artists, truly artists, pukas of the art form of all time. I mean, it's got to be, like, Maria Callas, and I'm, I'm a mm. big opera file. And I think, I think this is a direct quote, so I hope it is, but I think she said everything is always in the music. Like, it's always there. Because I remember, you know, you know, watching interviews, reading interviews, I'm such a huge fan of her work, that people would say, like, how do you find the acting of it? You bring characters to life like they've never been brought up before. Some of your sounds are ugly because you say the character is ugly or whatever. But, like, how do you find all that stuff? And she's like, it's always in the music. And that really sticks with me. You know, looking at the page, why are certain musical runs put certain ways why do you sometimes sing the seventh instead of singing the fifth that one note that was really bothering me in the rest it like why couldn't i get that one note right sometimes that that bothered me because there's like a reason that a note is a word if something is written well hopefully the musicality is there you know for for a reason i think and it's our job to suss it out and look for it as actors i don't think and as music director. As a music director, absolutely. And that's how I approach my material. When in doubt, if I don't know what is going on in terms of the... If I don't understand the lyrics, or if I don't understand um, the acting behind something, especially when I'm you know, singing a song that I'm not quite sure of, the backstory. What do yeah. you do? You look at what is there and try and suss it out from that. Mm-hmm. Have you done a lot of new work? Um... You know what's funny is that I'll say no, but I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, you were not you were in a big nymph show last year. I did. I I, yeah. I was. I got to do Wearing Black for mm-hmm. Nymph, which I love. Changed my life. And I've gotten to do so many amazing readings, both by um, writers who are amazing and talented nobodies, and writers who are huge, like platinum selling, Grammy winning artists. Like, and the thing is, is that. It's such a blessing to do new works. I'll say that my answer is no simply because it's like I, I would want a new song every week. I would want something new to work on every week um, because that's where it's like so, so fascinating and interesting to, to me to see how musical theater, music in general, is like changing. What are people mm-hmm. still creating? What haven't we heard yet? That's so fascinating to yeah. me. And you've done some like pre-existing work with, like, different takes on it or different, like, atypical casting choices. Is mm-hmm. that fair to say? I'd say I had, yes. uh, My last guest was Michael Cassera. Yes! And I talked to him and I was... He's been so good to me. Thanks, I Michael. Love Michael. Uh-huh. And I was, I was like, oh, Devin's going to be my next guest. And he's <laughs> like, oh, I, I cast him as Billy Bigelow. Yes! And that made me so excited. Can you talk about that kind of part of your world? I mean, I am so just... Honestly, I'm just so very grateful. Very grateful that I've gotten to play roles like that to currently be in Les Mis right now. Yeah. Um, it's huge. It's, it's so wonderful. Like, you know, I pinch myself every other day. Not every day. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, getting to do a role like Billy Bigelow, y- you study it and you know the history behind works like that in college, in high school, growing up, and certain times especially for me of course in college of course I'd sing If I Loved You but I knew that I'd probably only sing something from Flower Drum Song for a Rodgers and Hammerstein audition or King and I and I kind of went well I'll never get the opportunity to do something like that and then one actually did come along and it was a dream come true and a nightmare on both levels the nightmare I never expected I was going to say yeah talk to me about that Number one, there was a certain part of me that always goes, God, in my head, I see the, uh, there's the idealist that sees the way I want to perform it and the way I think it should be performed and the way it looked like in this recording and this John Ray performance live, you know, way back when on YouTube. And then I go, wait a minute, hold up, Devin, you're not that. So what are you going to bring to the role? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do that's so inherently you and inherently different in this role as opposed to what you think it should have? Yeah, which is a challenge. Yeah. Um, knowing that my voice type was different for it 
and kind of starting to trust that as opposed to, again, try to sing like the so many recordings that I've listened to. And that's when you really go, wow, it's like the triumph of like the actor in a role as opposed to just looking at the mammoth of a role because that can be really daunting, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so the nightmare of it was getting over the f- the fear of not being good enough or true true enough to the material, you know, thinking that you're going to fail the material because it's such like a a great resounding work for decades now. Yeah, like a great American piece. But the triumph of it is knowing that I got to do it. I got the opportunity to do it and that I brought something to it that I don't think has probably ever been brought to it. And that 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 is like the real gratification in the end. And a lot was discovered in that performance, man. Yeah. When you actually, like, rehearsals were a little frustrating because I'm like, why am I not getting some of these moments? And then you get on stage and you recognize, that's why! <laughs> you know, it, it really goes to show you. Theater and stuff, it's not meant to just be rehearsed in a room and oh, worked no. on. It's gotta be shared. It's gotta be not only performed, that's the wrong connotation. It's gotta be lived. And it really is inspiring. To get all pretentious for a second, to quote, I think... Wendy Wasserstein, mm-hmm. Waster, Wasserstein, mm-hmm. my wife had some wine, <laughs> and not din- no dinner. Um, I think she, she was the one who coined that um, the audience is the final collaborator. Right. You know, right. you need that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just doing it in a vacuum, and like you're, you're missing that final element. Yes. And jumping on that, I mean, that's something I often think about um, doing a, another show that everybody just knows and loves, like Les Mis. Yeah. And getting to do, let's go back to Carousel for a second, a show that everybody knows and that, that you know, the bench scene, the If I Love You scene is perfect. It's a perfect smell of scene and song. It's perfect. Yep. So how many times do you as an audience member watch it and just go, oh, I love this scene? And it's not interesting because you're not watching this scene. You're watching what you think, you know, what, what right. you've always thought about in this scene. It's oftentimes what I think about the audience watching Les Mis. Are they just loving it because it's Les Mis? Or are they loving what they're seeing in front of them happen right now? Yeah. And that's the huge challenge. You know, when people often ask me about being in a long-running show, and I was like, this is our challenge every night. And being part of a long-running production. Mm-hmm. Like, it's our challenge to not only pay homage, homage, homage to you know the great work that's been done for what the past 30 years in layman's and also show everyone that this is still a live production happening tonight with live actors and choices are different and choices are still filled and important yeah that's a huge challenge and a great undertaking and it makes our work work you're in the show yes and you're also the understudy for marius yes that's huge it's great um, and like I always get my terminology mixed up. So understudies typically are in the show, in the ensemble. In the ensemble, mm-hmm. swings are hanging out backstage. Yes, in yes. our show, the swings, and some some of whom are understudies as well. Oh, they understand. Um, we have a couple swings who understudy principals and swing for the ensemble. Yeah, so it's. A, I would it, like to look at their brains. Like, oh, <laughs> I can't. Oh, mumbo jumbo. I mean, I don't know how they do it. And so many of them, and I, big, big, big ups to swings, man. They're awesome. And our swings are can go on at the drop of the hat and have gone on at the drop of a hat. I mean, they've gone on at intermission, they've gone on at random scenes, and they just sort of like go right in. It's a really difficult job. I freak out going on for Marius as an understudy, even when I have like week's notice and it's a role that i played on tour for like 10 months and i still freak out when i have to go on just because it's out of my routine so i think but at the same time i mean what fun to be able to sort of change characters all the time right i think think that can be a lot of fun i have to say like it's beautiful the times that i got to watch the show uh when i was learning it at night and rehearsing during the day I was floored that this was a show that I knew so well and knew so many people in the show. And sometimes it's hard to enjoy something when your friends are in it. Right. Because you start watching your friends instead of watching the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. The production is still beautiful. And every new person that we've had, every new energy that we've had on and off stage brings something different. So it really... I've had friends and family come to see the show right when I joined. And then then the most recent time that I was on for Marius, I had... A lot of people come back and see it again, and they're like, it's not the same show. 
it's not even the same tempos. You know, different people bring different energy. And one thing I really love about our show is that we really strive hard to embrace new energy and make it a part of the show. So it's that. it's part machine, but a lot human. Yeah. So and that's that's really really great. So come see our show, even if you've seen it before, because I guarantee it's probably different from the last time you saw it. To hear more interviews and original songs, visit the Something New archives at joelbnew.com, where you'll find conversations with other vocal teachers and coaches, such as the mad genius Sherry Sanders. So that what we do is we watch you move through your feelings, as opposed to, I've got to keep this guy from leaving the room, you know, which is yeah. legit musical theater. Instead, <laughs> yeah. he's not in the room, you're alone in your room, mm-hmm. and nobody's looking, and I want to see you go through something very emotional. Um, But I also want to see it happen in such a private way that I feel like I'm looking at you through a keyhole. Sherry's Rock the Audition online training program has gotten so big, it is taking over Rock the Performance. So on August 15th, 2016, people can either go to her training program, Rock the Audition, to study with her, and simply click on Get Sheet Music, or go to rocktheperformance.com for cut and arranged sheet music. Sherry has now expanded to not only training colleges and professional musical theater performers, but to private voice teacher training as well. Check it out and rock on. You're a vocal coach. Yes. As well. Mm-hmm. How has that enhanced like your performing? Is it similar to like music, music director work? Absolutely. I mean, and Joel, you got to see how I work. Mm-hmm. I draw a lot of how I work from how I watch other people work. Um, Just the choices that every now and then, you know, I'd like to think of myself sometimes not as a creative actor, but a really good imitator because I, I remember people and I remember faces and things and really, really, really well. And sometimes I get a loss of creativity when it's just like me in my head. So I try to sometimes think like, Oh, I know someone who would sing this song really, really well. Like, what would they do? Or what choices would they make? Honestly, honestly, how much did this song change from the first time we did it, Joel, when you, when you then explained to me a, a bit about the, back, the background? Yeah. In no, my head, actually, I thought about someone that I in, imagined in my head that would book this role in this show. I'm not even kidding. Really? Mm-hmm. I want to know who that is. His name is Antoine Hopper. He was in Hair on Broadway, and he was my classmate from Carnegie Mellon. And I imagined a lot of stuff that he would do and think and feel, and I just and I just sort of like you channeled him, embodied him for a little bit, or what a, a lot of what I think he would do, which of course is a lot of me, yeah, as well. But yeah, I like to think of things that way. So that has enhanced me a great deal. Also, I've been so 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 blessed. Hashtag blessed. That um, <laughs> I mean, so many of my friends and clients, many of my clients started out as friends first. I mean. You know, great people, lots of talent, they end up going and getting famous. So as a vocal coach, I can say it's like, wow, yeah, I've coached these Tony winners and Tony nominees. And in the back of my mind, I think, yeah, and I used to get trashed with you in college. You know, and and, and I go, you know, yes, when we were all dirt poor and just like, you know, I'll teach you this audition song if you buy me a coffee Mm -hmm. kind of thing. I think of these now lauded actors but like a decade ago and how would they think what kind of like things would they find in a coaching or or that I would help them find and that's sort of how I approach my work as well now not just like stealing but yes stealing you're kind of coaching yourself exactly I mean like I'm, I'm so thankful that so many of my teachers have been like let's have a dialogue it's not just you know do this do this Find this choice here. Make this choice. This is your acting verb. You didn't always get that at Carnegie Mellon. A lot of it was like, let's discover together. Let's collaborate together. And I think that's now how I like to approach my work, both as a coach and as an actor. Are you still coaching while you're on Broadway? Do you have students? Yes. Yeah? I mean... In all your spare time? Yes, in my spare time. Right now we're on a two shows Wednesday, two shows Saturday, and matinee on Sunday schedule, day off Monday. Okay. Um, And... I try to coach as often as possible. I mean, I try to coach Tuesdays during the day, Thursdays during the day, Fridays during the day. And if I have to, I squeeze them in on the weekend mornings. No. I mean, the thing is, 
it keeps me on my game as an actor to teach because I have to still know if I'm teaching and coaching others I still have to know my shit mm-hmm. you know doing doing again a long running show it's like you can't just fall back on your own crutches I know what I'm good at yeah. but sometimes working with someone who has different strengths than me or has strengths that are my weaknesses it's great to teach them because then I, it's a good reminder for me like do this keep doing this or maybe this is something you need to practice in your off time Devin Granted, I need to be a little bit better about like giving my body some rest, but I mean, this is like what I love to do. So why can't I fill my time with what I love to do? So yes, I'm teaching during the day. Wonderful. Also, I mean, this bears in mind, a lot of my students are young kids, like Broadway kids. I teach a lot of the Broadway kids. There's a lot of Broadway kids on the Broadway. They, there are, and they're, they're kicking our butts. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like they're so good and so smart. No, not yet. I know, as soon as we close. I mean, the School of Rock kids, the Matilda kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and they all were born out of, you know, my first vocal student ever was Matt Gumley, who was the first Michael Beggs and Mary Poppins. And was the Kid and Elf and a a slew of other Broadway shows. He has more than I'll ever have. But (laughs) the thing is, you come to realize, like, these kids, I mean, they work. They do that. They're doing the same amount of work as we are, mm-hmm. and they're young, and they're going to school. So if kids can do it, like why can't we be forever students yeah. too? Yep. But they work really hard, and some of the things that they find, their way of thinking, especially some of the really amazing actor kids, the childish way in which they approach the work sometimes is a real teaching tool to adults, because we get hampered by what's the right choice what is the smartest choice what is the choice that looks best on stage we are such judges of our own work that teaching children has reminded me to be an inner child to find that embrace that and go okay if no one was judging what i was doing like what would actually be my real impulse here can i try that and honor that at least for rehearsal yeah you know what i mean and maybe Mm -hmm. something magical will be born out of that and oftentimes it is absolutely you know and like be don't be afraid to fail yes yes failing is actually good and i've done it a lot and i'm proud of it i fail (laughs) constantly right same constantly yeah if anyone is listening who's an actor and they're thinking about am i good enough to like start actually coaching other people or whatever like what would you what would you say to those listeners You probably aren't. That's my answer. And hear me out. I'm listening. Because you're asking yourselves that question and you're not doing it. Mm. Like, do it. It's all... you, You gotta get into action. Like, was I really good enough in the very, very beginning, like right out of college, to be coaching anyone Probably not. I didn't have a career yet. I mean, I was lucky I was equity, and I was lucky I had some some summer stock things in my resume, but I didn't have anything, like, quote-unquote, real. And I didn't know what kind of actor or artist I really was, so how could I coach other people? Well, guess what? I jumped in because I was helping friends, and suddenly it became a booming business, and suddenly I started trusting myself. And then I grew both as a coach and my clients grew as actors. And then that all helped me grow as an actor. So if you're questioning yourself, hmm, should I coach? Should I start it? Well, you're not right now, but try it. You won't know until you actually fail. I mean, one of the most brilliant ideas that um, the first time I did Les Mis regionally was at North Shore in 2007. My first job right out of college. And... I became really good friends with the Eponine and Cosette, who were, who were um, respectively, Joanne Javier, ah, and Renee Berna um, was Cosette. And we became really good friends. And Renee started this thing, which I wish was still around. And maybe we need to re- resurrect it. It's called The Woodshed. And you, there are various other things around the city. But it wasn't a class. It was like this group that we got together and we tried out audition songs and we all sort of would coach each other it was like going to work out it was like the gym it was the woodshed what what would you woodshed on this what would you what would you build on this song that you have in your book and you start learning from other actors and what they do on their material and then you start giving your your 
your input and sharing different exercises and different things that you're seeing. And it's, we were all coaching each other and that really, really, really helped. Oh, wow. Because it was all like actors that we all respected each other. Everything's done with respect. And when that's there, there's trust. And when you trust it, it really helps a lot of the material just grow. So I think that's what I would say to prospective coaches and teachers, like, do it, try it. And if and if it doesn't click, then it wasn't for you. Yep. Fake but it you won't you know it. until you do it. Yeah, right. I'm a big fan of fake it till you make it. Uh, <laughs> do you have thoughts mm, on that? No, I agree. I agree. I don't like the negative connotation to fake, but you know what I mean. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. just like, do it and figure it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's gonna be wrong, and that's okay. Yeah. That's the part that I that I still need to remind myself. It's okay to be wrong, and it's okay to sort of still make mistakes and figure out in fact it's great because you'll get better from it oh absolutely Mm -hmm. i mean i i throw new at my guests all the time and Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's going to be any good i don't know if it's going to have any life after this or whatever i mean right 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 right. so i'm it forces me you know like the podcast has become a great uh accountability partner for me so it it forces me to create something new because i know someone uber talented is going to come over and (laughs) sing it and they're going to bring something to it, so I need to be bringing something as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a dialogue. Everything's a dialogue. Yes, it is. People do ask me, like, if you had advice, just any sort of advice, in general, for, like, especially, like, budding actors, my, <laughs> my answer has always been, like, try everything. Try everything. I think we just discussed this right before we turned on the recorder, like... If you're ever questioning, like, oh, you know, I haven't quite had success yet. Should I try something else? Should I be doing something else different with my life? You know, my answer would be do it. Do it. And if at a certain point you're doing that something else and you really, really miss acting, then that means that you need to come back to it. And maybe you'll be better than ever. Um, Oftentimes I've taken breaks after the biggest jobs that I've done. Sometimes because I absolutely needed it and needed the mental break. And... Oftentimes the business will tell you, no, you're on a stride. You got to keep running that stride. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get burned out. Like, leave. Go on an eat, pray, love trip, which I'm about to go on after Les Mis closes. Amazing. And go and, like, play sports. Go find something else about yourself. I've been taking classes at the LGBT Center in the the early mornings lately. What kind of classes? Oh, well, I take some um, group classes about, like, sex and sexuality. Oh, Mm-hmm. Yoga so and like, med- like classes with like books. Yoga and meditation. Yes. And the thing is there are resources all around. We live in New York City, or you know, sorry if you're listening, you don't live in New York City, come visit. <laughs> there are so many things, you know. I I am thirty, turning thirty one, and I've always walked around like with glitter and maybe possibly like a rainbow shirt on, but I'd never really like hung out at the LGBT center and learned about, you know, trans people and their lives. And this is something that's very present in our society today. So guess what? For once, I finally went and did it. And I'm making new friends and I'm experiencing new things and living life as like a homosexual in New York City. And And that's going to feed your, your artistry as well. Oh my God. Yes. So try everything. Um, I'm currently looking for uh, like a sports team that I could maybe do during the day that that won't conflict with my show. Like I'm trying to do all these things that you know will, that I've never done before. You start recognizing that you get as you get older that you know time isn't slowing down; it's speeding up. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and try everything. It's only going to make you a more feeler, fearless, and experienced actor, I think. And your material that much more full. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Twice. I can think of two occasions. Maybe three. In my head, right now. That are, like, the role that got away. Like, one especially that was, like... I was a second choice for a role and got the offer after the first choice turned it down, but I had already taken another show. I'll never forget this. Um, And it's still right now, like, I will never play that role now. I'm too old. (laughs) But at the same time, I kind of went, oh, who cares? Let's just talk about it. I I got an offer to be, like, um, Matt and the Fantastics regionally, like, years and years and years ago. And I didn't get it. And I was like, fuck! I really thought I was going to get it. <laughs> and But what did come along was the offer to be the music director of Imelda off-Broadway. 
And that was my first time music directing an off-Broadway show. And then after that first week of rehearsals, I had gotten a call to get to uh, take over as Matt and the Fantastics. And I was like, no. And I turned it down and stayed with the Imelda because I said, well, I have a job. And I love what I'm doing. And it's different. Um, but I, there's still that like nagging voice in my head. It was like, wow, you'll never get that role, even though it was offered. I'll never get it again. But the reality was, you will always have the, the role that got away, but you may not get the experience again for all the other adventures that, that come up. So that's why I say, like, go for the experience. Mm. Is there a type of work that attracts you as a music director that doesn't attract you as a performer? As an actor, I like the new stuff. As a music director, it scares me more. Yeah. For some reason, I'm more fearless as an actor than with a music director. Because sometimes, as a music director, I feel like, well, that, that whole, like, director part of it, Maybe it's the title that kind of like you're not just looking at your performance. You're you're trying to do well by the composers, the directors, and you're still trying to lead the actors and get along with the actors. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so yeah. there's like a whole other level of pleasing everybody. Yeah. Or or working with everybody that I think gets difficult. So that scares me, but it's still what I would want to do. Yeah. Because like you're still also figuring out the bigger picture because it's a new work. Absolutely. Yeah. That's also, you know, this is a great question to ask Joel. Um, like I say, my answer is always, I would love to do new works. I would love to create. I would love to be like, oh, I'm the first person that's ever done this role or created this or sung this song or this song was changed because I this was my idea. I mm-hmm. love that. Or even that like, oh, I sang so many different versions of this and I don't even know which one was the best anymore. Like, I love that. I have to say, that's also one of the scary things as a career-minded artist how many times do you sing a song and you don't know that it's ever going to go anywhere? You do a reading of a new musical that you've put your heart and soul into and you feel like something's going to happen to this and this is going to be big and then nothing does. Or by the time it actually gets picked off the shelf and gets to production, you're no longer that that character. You're no longer that type. Mm. Or, or someone, you know, not necessarily better, but different comes along. Maybe better. That's all... The, that's the difficult part of falling in love with new material that sometimes it's hard to fall in love with something that you don't know was going to actually make your career or make your life yeah so that's always the chance the challenge and the wonderful thing about being an artist because you have such a musicality about you you're a musician you're a, hey. you're a music director <laughs> <laughs> like you have a lot of really good ideas have you ever dabbled in writing yourself I get asked that all the time I hate writing <laughs> why i i know what about it what's funny is i write a i write a great essay and i i'd like to think that the reason i got into college were because of my essays even though i'm hashtag asian and had good grades um <laughs> my strengths were always were always like literature and essay writing and like i could write a great report um and i get really creative with stuff like that but what's funny is, and, I, and I've, I'm not so good at, like, writing my own experiences as I am, like, arranging. I'm a good music director and arranger and, like, actor with something that's already in front of me. Hmm. If, if I sat down and said, well, what do I want to write? Or if I sit at the piano and do I have, like, let me improv something. It's not good. It doesn't flow with me from that. You either have to tell me something or think about it, like... Oftentimes, I already said earlier that when I'm approaching a role, sometimes I think of someone who, someone else who I think would play this role, mm-hmm. or who I imagine in my head is this role, and I sort of steal from that. That's how I think for some reason. So if you ever just said, Devin, like, sit down and write a song, I'd be like, oh God, I have nothing. Like, literally have nothing. Well, I think that's the worst um, prompt that you can give anyone, mm-hmm. is just like, write something or like I was in in grad school we had like we had an assignment was like write a comedy song right it's like you like like, give me some more constraints I mean Mm -hmm. I think um I mean my constraints for the song today were you know story and and show and everything but another one that I had was like I had you Mm -hmm. it's like you confined me in a really good way like I knew to a certain extent, right. what instrument was coming into play with me today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I've had other, I'm like, oh, so-and-so is going to sing the song at a concert. And that 
that informs everything. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Here's my thing. And I know this about myself, and maybe you podcast listeners have picked up on it. (laughs) I think one thing that I'm actually pretty damn good at is being a storyteller. I find my own stories interesting. I find your stories interesting. I think I've gone through a lot of and I think that I've created a lot of for myself, and I think I've experienced a lot of and I'm grateful for every moment of it, actually. Um, maybe one day I'll write a book. I'm not at that point now. You know, I think I'm still well, and I think I'm still experiencing it. Or maybe I'll be a blogger. I haven't. These are things I actually haven't thought about. But that's where I see my creativity. If I were to, if I were to write in the broad sense of the word, write. If I were to write something, it would be like a story. Like this is like my story. Got I it. don't think it would be like let me write a song, like hmm. in, in a musical, or let me write a, the book of a musical, or let me write a play, unless it was just like me telling a story. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. Like, you know how your creativity yes. exists, mm-hmm. and where it would thrive, and where... Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of where I am finding... Um, I am finding that I have creativity. I'll tell a quick story, actually. Tell a story. Um... So, because I'm a piano player, when I was younger, I used to enter a lot of piano competitions. Okay. Oh my god. I'm scarred <laughs> for life. And um, it's so funny. I'll never forget this, but I had this one guy who was actually my piano teacher's son, who was just so good. And we always competed against each other. All growing up. And I was a really pretty good classical concert pianist. I was really pretty good but I was very sloppy and he was always technically better than me like always and I look back on it and it's so funny I think about this as an as an adult now my strengths were always like Rachmaninoff and Chopin Beethoven really emotive expressive things dramatic things go fig right (laughs) and he was technically better his fingering was always better his technique was better and I, more often than not, always beat him at stuff. And, like, we're talking, like, like national competitions, international competitions, stuff that performed at, like, Carnegie Hall and stuff. Like, these were pretty big things. And this is all, like, before the age of 16, so we were really young. And my favorite piece that I used to win a lot of competitions with was Polichinelle by Rachmaninoff, if anybody knows that song. And I was, I, not. I was not perfect at it at all, but I won a lot of things with it. And I would stop and think about one lesson that I had with my amazing piano teacher. And she said to me, do you know what Polichinelle is? And I was like, no. And she's Latvian. This was, uh, Rachmaninoff is Russian. And, and I was like, no, I don't know what it is. And she said, this is the clown. And I went... Oh, it's like that. It's like Harlequin, like jumping around. Oh my God. It was like night and day to me. With that, that song became the clown. And I was playful. And I look back, and somewhere my parents have like VHS tapes of me, <laughs> of me playing that song. And I would go back and I go, mm, I made some actual errors, but that was a fucking great performance. And it was because I was telling the story of like a clown. Like, I, I think back in my head as a kid. Playing a clown, scaring children and loving children, and like giving a lollipop. I remember thinking these things. I'm thinking them right now. I'm living it right now. Um, and like when the clown jumps away, and when the clown is like peeking out from behind something, and it was because of the way I told stories with my class, with like classical pieces. Mm-hmm. That's why I was a good musician. Was because I could tell stories with it. Now, time later, it's completely flipped, and I tend to think that the I. One reason that I think I'm a good actor is because I bring a lot of musicality to my text and to my lyrical lines. And so I think that's where, like, they really, really went hand in hand. I don't know where that story came from, but, like... That makes all the sense in the world. But that's, like, literally, like, a a story. That's a story that I would tell in a song that I would write in the musical of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Opening at second stage. Hey! (laughs) You do tell good stories. Oh, thanks, Joel. Are you working? Why don't we set up the song? 
Are you yes. you game to set up the song? Yes, me? let's set up the song together. Cool. So Devin was kind enough to come over and rehearse and perform a brand new song called Quiet Girl. 48 hours old. 48 hours old. Finished it on Saturday, mm-hmm. wrote the accompaniment on Sunday, mm-hmm. and now it's Monday night. Yay! Crazy pants. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote this with Devin's voice and musicality in mind. <laughs> um, it's also what I call an exploratory song, so it's potentially from Mackenzie and the Missing Boy, where um, deep into Act 2, Mackenzie's um, love interest, Diggs, is, like, he, he's had it with Mackenzie. He's, like, about to, he's packed his bag, he's gonna go and figure out a life that doesn't involve someone who has been taking him for granted many times over. And so and he... has been lying to him their entire their, relationship. Yeah, the whole relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So he sings this song, uh, which then, in theory, would inspire her to do her 11 o'clock number, I've Only Moments to Spare. Mm -hmm. And that's what this moment is. In the draft that stands, like, there was, like, a monologue, and, you know, whenever I see a monologue in a a libretto, I'm always like, oh, that's probably a song. Right. For me, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Then I was looking for inspiration. I was, I was like, oh, what can I, where can I find it? So I started looking at, like, famous um, African-American poets of the 1930s. And, uh, of course, Langston Hughes came up. Of course. And one of his poems was called Quiet Girl. And I read that. And it's maybe six lines long or something. Super short poem. And there was something in it that resonated with me, that resonated with this moment that I was trying to musicalize. And I was like, oh well, why don't I just borrow that mm-hmm. idea and bring that over? And so that's where the song came from. I and would liken you to a night without stars, right? Mm-hmm. That's the one. Yeah. Now, yeah, I want to chime in and just say, like, that was that was the part right there. The moment you told me, Joel, we did, I think I alluded to it earlier, but the moment you said, well, this is like, you know, an African-American man in the 1930s. And I was like, whoa, completely (laughs) changes everything. I heard the song completely differently. I heard lazy jazz and I heard um, a different timbre of my own voice than what I was initially bringing. And that's, and that just informed so much. So which goes to show you that again, the backstory of knowing, knowing why a song uh, was written for a piece and why exactly like everything around it just really, really informs the singer. Or at least it did for me. Yeah. No, it was night and day. It's a brand new song, and I'm, I'm really excited to show people the, uh, mm-hmm. the journey that it's already come on. What's the title of the song that follows? I Have Only Moments to Spare. I Have Only Moments to Spare. That's so fascinating to me, um, now that I know that, because this song is Quiet Girl. Mm-hmm. So... Mm, much of us think about so many of us think about like um filling every moment with something and you know i i initially said that you know go out and explore go out and adventure do everything try everything that also is really important to be quiet find moments of quietude and like solace absolutely but when is that quiet like evading when when are you hiding? Right. When are you like, being complacent by being quiet? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes quiet is good, and sometimes it's time for noise. Um, yep. And also, you know, I think now there's that extra level in this song of you know, in her, in her quiet, how how many secrets and lies were hide and mm-hmm. hid underneath. Yeah. You know, she's a very talkative character. Like she's very persuasive and very uh, charming mm-hmm. with the wit that with. But everything she says is a lie. Mm-hmm. So even though she's a very she's quite a chatterbox, it's the silence behind like the there's like this layer of silence behind her words that is hiding and masking her truth. Mm-hmm. And so that's the quiet oh, that he's talking I, I, and about. And I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate. To oh that. yeah. As, I mean, a you lot can of say can. so much without you know you can you can be saying so little by saying so much i was trying to find like all your social media and you don't really have any no i do can we talk about that what i do instagram you do I instagram like, yes i like pictures yeah google told me that you instagram i look pictures yes is it just devin elow or well you can your... search my name but right now my handle is hello there i'm dev <laughs> nice dev is my nickname and well oh. there it is that's there me. it is hello i was there. getting a little tired of seeing my whole name like 
on Instagram. So I was like, eh, let's just change it. Meh. But if you search my full name, you probably will find me anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. Follow me in my life and adventures and trying everything through pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but no, no Twitter, no Snapchat, none of that. You're not in any of that. No. I can even find a website of yours. No, I know. I've, I've got to you jump need on to that. that. No. Well, yes. maybe I also need to read a book about, like, you know, building a website first, and then we'll jump on that. Yeah. Well, I, I know some good people who could help you with websites. Oh, okay. Like Peyton Royal, who did my website. Oh, Billy Bustamante. Yes. Yes, yes Billy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Special thanks today to uh, the people who helped me with every episode, which are Peyton Royal from my website. Yay. Stephanie Layton, who does my graphic design. Joel Dickinson, who did my theme song. And, um, yeah, we recorded here in the comfort of our apartment. Otherwise, I'd be thanking the Dramatist Guild, right. which um, houses many of the episodes this season. Um, and accompanied by me today. Yes. And uh, the train. And the train. Elevated and, train. And, 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 <laughs> and Strider's uh, whimpering a little bit. You liked it. Um, let's see. So this song is going to be available at the end of this episode, but it'll also be on SoundCloud and for the first time this season on YouTube as well. Yay! So awesome. So you can't not find this song. Listen away. Listen away, Quiet Girl. Um, let's see. Be sure to follow me on all the things social media, and you can find those things and so much more on Um Let's see. What else do I always say at the end of the episode? Um, let's see. I have another episode coming up in two weeks. I'll tell you all about that later. Um, and last but not least, definitely Elow, thank you for being on my show today. Thanks for having me. Honestly, it was such a pleasure. So much fun. So it was awesome. Um, from my apartment in Inwood, this is Joel V. New. And Devin Elow. Saying thank you for dropping by for Hi. something new. Mabuha. guess you need another favor you've been cashing them in from the start need another stamp need another note need something graver keep right on digging and digging deeper into the chambers of my heart I would like to a night without stars Were it not for your eyes I would liken you To a day without danger Were it not for the list of all of your lies What a quiet, quiet girl I would liken you to sleep without dreams Were it not for your songs I would liken you to life without words not for the rain, your pilot up wrongs. Quiet girl, what a quiet, quiet girl. I really must thank you for finding me when you did. Just a few minutes later, things would have been black and blue. I almost believed you. But like all of your stories, it was too good to be true. Quiet girl, what a quiet, quiet girl. I would liken you to a heart without warmth, were it not for your touch.
without folly Were it not for the fact I love you too much Quiet girl What a quiet, quiet girl So quiet and deaf Fill the air with your fiction at the drop of a hat. But something is missing, I think that something is you. I'd say don't be a stranger, but it's a little late for that. Yeah.